We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Drafting our first FFPC main event of the year, chasing that $1 million. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find Stealing Signals newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at rotoviz.com. We talked in the last episode about the Zero RB watch list. It is probably fully out by the time you are hearing this. You absolutely need to read that. I got a lot of great stuff for you over at the Substack as well. Sean, we drew the 103 in our first main event. For anyone who wasn't around last year, we did several main events. We were picking out of the back third often. The draft just got underway. Cooper Cup and Christian McCaffrey go off the board. Cup goes 101. We were thinking we'd be debating between Cup and Jefferson. That puts us in position to start with Jonathan Taylor out of the 103 if we want to go that route. It does, and I do have Taylor and McCaffrey in basically a dead heat for the top spot when we did our projecting the 2023 first round of redraft, which then is always just an incredibly fun exercise. I had Jefferson and Chase at the top two spots. You had McCaffrey and Taylor at the top two spots, and so I know you feel very comfortable that Taylor is going to come through and justify not just the top two pick this year, but a top two pick next year as well. I absolutely do. You're good with this pick, right? Just to c- confirm it, I'm gonna. You're 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 locking it in. All right. We didn't talk about who was gonna lock it in. We were getting a little low on the clock, not super low. Not that wasn't a typical Sean filibuster. He left me 20 whole seconds. <laughs> I'm excited to get Taylor. I already have one share of Jefferson and Cup in Maine. Several of Chase have gotten a lot of 105s and even gotten them at 106. No McCaffrey or Taylor yet for me. I've not had a 101 or a 102. So to get Taylor at the 103, I think is really fun. Where you can build out of the 103, what the value is at the 2-3 turn, which to me is you know largely receiver. There's a good pocket of receivers there. Makes Taylor at the 103 fun. There's obviously other paths that we could consider. Pitts were to fall. He's not really falling to there anymore. If there were a running back we wanted to consider and potentially get two early running backs, that might be a possibility. But yeah, Sean, very much with you to answer your question about Taylor's potential this year. Not overly concerned. There are, you know, mild things in his profile that can be concerning. There's talk that they're not going to use him as much. They don't want to use him as much. They're going to be all in on Naheem Naheem Hines. 
things get a little different when the rubber hits the road, right? When your team is maybe 500 at a certain point, you realize you have a generation, a legitimately generational running back that you need to get the ball to. And I've made the argument that it does tend to be year three where these guys who are big backs and maybe, I mean, you have the unicorn type players in a Saquon Barkley who come out and have the monster receiving season as rookies, despite being the big back as well. But this template of a Jonathan Taylor type really emerging as a receiving back in year three, something that we see happening quite a few times in the recent past and throughout history. You mentioned Hines. In many of those cases, the team using the superstar didn't have a receiving back of quite Hines caliber. So we have to factor that in. And yet exactly what you said, I think, is maybe more relevant than people are really discussing. We've gotten just incredible puff pieces on basically all of the Colts wide receivers throughout this entire process. Pittman ready to become the next Justin Jefferson, Alec Pierce ready to become the next Chase Claypool, Paris Campbell having a fantastic season. And Paris Campbell, somebody who, you know, actually has always looked good and was excellent in college, has the elite athleticism, but just hasn't been healthy. So if he's healthy during any stretch and now that he's got, even though he hasn't played a lot, he's been, you know, with the team for several years, not surprising that he would look good. They claim that they're going to have all of these options. They like the leadership that Matt Ryan brings to the table, especially when you contrast that with what they had last year with Carson Wentz. But this is still not a Super Bowl caliber team in all likelihood. Their division, one of the weakest in football, but yet one that almost certainly has to take a step forward. They were just that bad last year. The Colts missed the playoffs last season. They are not a team that can necessarily afford to go away from their stars. So for exactly the reasons you mentioned, I think that Taylor will have a bigger workload than is being anticipated. He is the overall 101 on average I'm pulling up the results, 94 drafts, I believe, in either the FBG or the main in the last four days. So just looking at this week's ADP, you know, it, it, there are a limited number of times you can get the 101. So if you can get the player who the community yeah. kind of has in that spot at the 103, you're definitely going to be excited to have a few of those shares. Absolutely. And before we get too far, if you are listening to this on podcast, want to watch the board and see our pretty faces down in the corner, we've made them as small as we can. But you can watch the board as we think through our discussions. Head over to YouTube, look for the Rotoviz, just search for Rotoviz, the Rotoviz channel. You'll find it there. It's a free and available video podcast. You can watch on YouTube. Go ahead and uh, hit subscribe while you're on the channel. That won't send you any notifications or bother you at all, but it does really help us. That is one way to follow along with us. For those of you who are just listening on audio, we are now early into the second round, the first round. Couple surprises. Cooper Cup goes 101. McCaffrey, Jonathan Taylor to us at 103. Jefferson, Travis Kelsey goes 105. Sean, we've discussed him quite a bit. I know that that's not one that you like because you're a little lower on him. Obviously, Jamar Chase still on the board. Even more interesting to me is Devontae Adams goes 106 before Jamar Chase, who slides to 107. I'm sure that 107 drafter is pretty thrilled about that. Eckler also slides to 108, which you don't typically see. Stephon Diggs, 109, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, and Kyle Pitts makes an appearance in the first round at the 112. That drafter started Kyle Pitts, Saquon Barkley. That's something we talked about as a 1-2 turn. When those guys are both going at the 2-3 turn, it has now happened in these main events as we get a couple of weeks into the season or, or, or away from the season. Second round started with Barkley, CeeDee Lamb, 
DeAndre Swift, Najee Harris, and Mark Andrews goes off. So the top three tight ends all do go off before we have anywhere close to a shot at getting them. We are four picks away. Debo Samuel, A.J. Brown, T. Higgins still on the board, Tyreek Hill, Javante Williams still on the board, somebody that I would be interested in, even as it would be a second running back. What are you thinking as we as Joe Mixon goes off here, somebody we're not particularly on, and we are now three picks away? The other player I was going to mention to you at the 103, partially in jest, but partially serious, was Kyle Pitts. So we, we knew he wouldn't get back <laughs> to the 112. I mean, to where we are. He goes at the 112, as you mentioned. Alvin Kamara, an interesting potential selection with the suspension concern dropping a little bit there. I do like Javante. I think that Debo Samuel and A.J. Brown, we've talked about both of those guys. They'll probably be the two most efficient wide receivers in football. They do have the concerns that they're connected to passing games where, number one, there's a very good second and third option. Number two, their quarterbacks may run the ball quite a bit. But at the same time, that's giving us these extremely enticing prices on superstars. I would definitely be okay to go that direction. One thing just to kind of throw out there too, not really relevant yet at this pick, but thinking a little bit about Bills and Rams and if we would elevate certain members of those teams just very slightly or use that as a tiebreaker since we'll be able to get to see that Thursday night result before we decide whether or not we have to play them in week one. And for anyone not familiar with that, that's a, a unique element to the FFPC main event. Actually, we are on the clock. I'll get into that in a moment. Two quick picks go off. Mike Evans and Michael Pittman in the second round, two guys we wouldn't have been considering. So we do have AJ Brown and Debo on the board and Javante. Sean, I'm comfortable in any direction. I have Brown ranked slightly ahead of Debo, but from an ADP perspective, taking Debo first, hoping Brown swings around the turn would make a lot of sense. And like I said, Javante is a player that I would be comfortable going to early running backs with. I'm going to let you break this tie. Oh, are you on Kamara? I look at our queue. You have Kamara at the top of the queue. I have him at a tier lower personally. Yeah, so let's not select him. And wide receiver or running back, what's your preference in terms of the overall build? There's a lot of flexibility either way. I think I'm receiver because of Taylor. I think I would love to leave this pocket with two of Devo, AJ Brown, and T. Higgins is also in this in this range. So we are going to go with Debo, which I, I I think is the right pick at two ten. He started to fall from an early second uh, ADP, and you know earlier in the off season, we've gotten some hype on some other players. There's probably not a whole lot of Jonathan Taylor, Debo Samuel teams out there as a result for these teams that have been drafting for a long time, or you know these leagues that have been drafting for for several weeks. I like that, you know, the potential uniqueness that that provides. I really like the argument you just made about how we know these are very good players. They're being pushed down because of the situation. We don't necessarily know the path for Debo. I'm very concerned about it as well. But I feel very comfortable with him as a floor player. As, you know, assuming he stays healthy, he's had some injury stuff. But assuming he stays healthy, I feel very comfortable with him as a part of our starting lineup throughout the entirety of the season. And then anything that we are wrong in our predictions, any projection error with this offense, Trey Lance suddenly is a really good passer, right? What whatever ends up happening is just basically positive, you know, outcome variance. There's not a ton of negative outcome variance. There's this potential for you know, I to be very good, for example. 
T. Higgins goes to the 101 drafter after Alvin Kamara to the 102. That 101 drafter took Cooper Cup. They are very receiver heavy. Seems possible they'll also take A.J. Brown here. Two picks away, Javante and A.J. Brown both still on the board. If they both go, I'll be a little bit devastated. That would be disappointing. It's one of these situations here where I'm actually a little bit relieved that the drafter who got Cooper Cup does not then get Alvin Kamara. It'll be interesting to see. You kind of expect that this might be Javante Williams. We talked about him too as not only having plenty of standalone value right here, but also a contingency play where if Melvin Gordon gets knocked out. And then it's A.J. Brown. So we do lose both guys. Well, then it seems like the fantasy gods are encouraging us to take Aaron Jones here. Are you serious? <laughs> no, but he is the top player still available by ADP. He has that 19th ADP there. We do have a share of him as it turns out. Ben, I, I think the only way to really make this right and make you comfortable here having lost those players is to go with DJ Moore. That's the next receiver on my board. I'm very comfortable with that pick. Is it is it a pick you want to make? I think you have Waddle higher than Moore, right? Well, I have updated the rankings and moved a couple of guys like A.J. Brown ahead of Jalen Waddle. I do like that selection. His upside, as we talk about, is through the roof. He's got that perfect profile in terms of the peripherals. I don't think that Baker Mayfield is the guy to launch him in a Matthew Stafford for Cooper Cup kind of fashion, but it does eliminate this extreme downside sort of situation where DJ Moore was basically not playable the last month of last season. I don't think that we're going to be dealing with that this year. And one thing that really solidified my excitement for Moore again, not that I have ever really needed a reason to be excited for Moore, but for any listeners who might be interested in, in in more more reasons to believe in more was this idea that he did have very poor like yards per target after the target type efficiency i'm constantly talking obviously about how we have the target earning and then after the target efficiency as sort of two different elements traditionally in fantasy we think of targets as opportunity i think of routes as opportunity target earning as an efficiency or a skill element that is more predictable and then the after the target efficiency as less predictable but still notable and and when we talked about guys like Debo and Brown and you're saying how efficient they would be that's that's the element certainly that where they just both of them just absolutely pop Moore saw his targets per route his target earning ability really spike last year into it was the jump we wanted to see into a pretty strong range from a previously very good range but he's also always been very good after the target and after the target efficiency, very good with the ball in his hands. His first three years, yards per target, all consistently above average in different roles. We've talked about how he was a downfield threat one year. He was an underneath threat. Last year, it cratered to 7.1 yards per target. It was, by comparison, previously 8.7 or higher all three years. Twice, it was 9.6 or higher. His yards per target cratered all the way to 7.1. The stat that really solidified him for me was just looking into how bad Carolina's passing offense was entirely like overall. And the next two most targeted receivers were Robbie Anderson and Terrace Marshall. The most targeted tight end was Tommy Tremble. All of those guys, incredibly low yards per target, multiple yards below where DJ Moore was at, at 7.1. So in some respects, you talk about the context of the offense, you can say 
more actually getting to 7.1 was still reflective of him being a little bit more efficient than the players around him. Obviously, Christian McCaffrey back this year might cut into his target earning ability. My hope with Baker Mayfield is that it at least makes things below average and not so bad that the best receiving weapon on their team had a 7.1 yards per target where he can be back to an 8.5 or a nine yards per target. And I think if that happens, we still have that DJ Moore breakout season potential. Doesn't necessarily require Baker to be a star for more is sort of what I'm getting at. Sean, you were talking about the Rams and the Bills situation. I wanted to hit on that for anyone who's listening and might not know what you mean. The FFPC main event continues to do drafts through the weekend, through Saturday of the first week. Thursday night football, the opening game is the Bills and Rams. The teams that draft after that point obviously know that outcome, and they can pick those players and play them in their lineups. And then to level the playing field, anyone drafting prior to that point can also decide after that game has been played whether to put those players in their lineup. So you get this sort of free element if you do draft players from those teams where you know their outcome before you set your Sunday lineup for week one. It's a very small element, but it can be pretty impactful in terms of your week one score gets you off to a fast start. If you have somebody who does have a multi-touchdown game, you know you're going to just plug them into your lineup, take their 20-plus points. Uh, We do see Allen Robinson here go at the 311, probably part of the reason he's been getting pushed up a little bit. But after our DJ Moore pick, Aaron Jones went. George Kittle goes to the Kelsey drafter, two tight ends there. Cortland Sutton, Travis Etienne, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Leonard Fournette, Allen Robinson, and then Josh Allen closes out the third round. I'm actually really happy to see him go there. I don't hate the pick. He goes Josh Allen, Gabe Davis, actually. It's a really interesting stack. But I loved the Pitts-Barkley start from the 12th slot, him being the first drafter to take a quarterback is at least mildly a positive in my mind and that he's not just out here hammering receiver and then building a a dominant team with those two anchors how are you feeling right now as we start to head back in the fourth round good good the things that kind of got us with that dj moore selection aaron jones leonard fournette the two players who usually go ahead of that spot they drop below us. Aaron Jones taking in the next pick. Leonard Fournette goes all the way down at the 310, which I think is more where he should be going. So not necessarily a surprise in a strong room. He does go to a drafter who has made a robust running back start with Dalvin Cook, DeAndre Swift, Leonard Fournette, and James Conner. I kind of like having Cook, Swift, and Conner all on the same team there. We're not necessarily drafting a lot of Cook and Conner, but it's very easy to see how they could put up big time seasons the ep profiles for them are there are there in place it's a matter of can they stay healthy do the offenses do what we expect them to do can they hold off some of the competition i think that's the case even with cook where there are some guys behind now who are pretty good but to see them all on one team that sort of neutralizes them a little bit and takes them out of play so you like to see that part of it interesting to have keenan allen go ahead of mike williams mike williams seems to be the guy ascending allen a little bit the player declining we didn't really have any realistic chance of getting Gabe Davis to come back to us at the 410, but it's still a little bit disappointing. I I don't understand Allen Robinson going ahead of Davis. Davis with such immense upside there with Josh Allen and with a quarterback who doesn't have these questions about the elbow. And you get the same Thursday take a peek as we were talking about, right? Exactly. I just said that might be why Robinson gets pushed up, but Davis is also in that game. Sean, as we head 
back towards us, four picks away. Waddle's still there. Deontay Johnson's still there. Jerry Judy, Brees Hall, some of the names we would probably be considering here. I will say, as I asked you how you're feeling, I was thinking through it. I do think it was maybe a little bit of a misstep already to not go Javante, I think maybe, that, or, or Kamara. I, I think you were sort of thinking probably what I'm now realizing, which is if we let Debo slide behind us to the one and two drafters, probably a greater likelihood that both Higgins and A.J. Brown don't go. One of them makes it back to us. I love the DJ Moore pick at 303, obviously, but a little bit pricey for him. We might have had Javante, A.J. Brown, or Javante, probably not Higgins, because that drafter took Higgins even over Brown. But say say if Debo winds up going, we might have had Aaron Jones go at the turn, and then Debo, or excuse me, like a Javante, A.J. Brown, instead of a Debo, D.J. Moore. Maybe a slight misstep there to, to not think through that we would be sort of pushing running backs into that turn that we wouldn't have necessarily wanted to draft if we took Javante and it might've helped us get one of AJ Brown or, or T Higgins, or even if Debo came back around, any thoughts on that? I think that's a possibility. And I, I do think that having Taylor and Javante Williams gives you this potential start when you're talking about building an unstoppable tournament team that, you know, you might look forward to week 17 and say, I mean, those two guys are the one and two running backs in all of football. And you're still able to draft strong receivers behind them but as i did the zero rb article and melvin gordon as a spoiler does actually land on there i became a little bit more optimistic for gordon a little bit less optimistic for williams i think that we can get a lot of the value in williams later if we decide to go that route and i think that i mean you have a pretty similar league winning upside really Melvin Gordon's peripherals the last two years a lot better, I think, than people realize. Yeah. And, and I mean, he was an absolute superstar at his peak. And so, from that perspective, and, and with the Denver Broncos offense likely scoring an absolute ton of points, I feel I feel good about what we did. And I like the fact that we're probably going to come out of these first five rounds with four wide receivers that we really like. I mean, that's yes, we just got there. a player to fall all the way back to us that I did not anticipate coming back. So we have we just got on the board. We have Waddle and Judy. That's actually tricky for me now too, because <laughs> after doing the article talking about this year's Cooper Cup and Jerry Judy being the guy who jumped out for me, I mean I've had Waddle super high all off season. I I don't think there's a way to lose here. I mean obviously one of them will outscore the other, and you know either of them can get hurt. In six weeks we may have a clear winner, but I just love both of these options. I would say. It's Waddle for me for a couple reasons. The biggest being ADP. You don't see Waddle here, and we have a, a, a small chance that Judy comes back around to us. And then the others would be, you know, more player specific. But you've been very high on Waddle. Is it the injury stuff where we haven't really gotten word on how, you know, how healthy he is that has impacted you at all? Or no, I, I think that I'm getting increasingly confident in the Broncos' offense, and maybe losing a little bit of my enthusiasm for the dolphins with i mean it actually benefits waddle and and tyreek hill that they seem to have absolutely no interest in mike gasicki and yet <laughs> having no interest in mike gasicki being this big athletic straight receiver for your team <laughs> I, I don't know how that makes me feel about what the dolphins are doing in general but jalen waddle again i Tyreek Hill should actually help him. They're going to have much greater target depth to him this year. So kind of starting him from the perspective or the position where he's already gained a few more yards and then we can see what he can do after the catch. 
Waddle part of this trio in Miami with Hill and Raheem Mostert, three guys with just unreal on-field speed. Even if you are not a strong believer in two, and I don't think that I am, I, I don't think that we are, you're getting a great price on Jalen Waddle's second season, especially within the context of how wide receiver drafts, wide receiver heavy drafts are these days. To have him go here at the 410 as wide receiver 23 after the rookie season that he just had, I mean, it just really doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Dalton Schultz and Goddard go after, to update the audio listeners, Darren Waller had gone off the board, a couple other people that we had maybe considered. And now Chris Godwin goes. We're now one pick away from Judy making it back. I would really love if that panned out for us. The drafter in between does take Jerry Judy. They were looking with a with a McCaffrey, Kamara, A.J. Brown, Dalton Schultz start like they might go receiver there. They did. Both of them look like they might go receiver on that turn. It ends up being the receivers we didn't want to see go. Brandon Cook slightly ahead of Judy and ADP. They reached for Judy, or I say reached, but not necessarily the way we would look at it. Sean, couple options. It's maybe a little early for TJ Hawkinson, but I know you like him. Brees Hall at receiver for me, it would be DK Metcalf at this point, but that feels like kind of a drop off. At 503, this feels like. After our Hall discussion, I was saying we could take him in the fourth. I have to green light this pick. So you're thinking Brees Hall? Well, I don't know. What are you thinking? I, I, I thought that's where you'd be. The player that I really like here is Rashad Bateman, but I don't get the sense that you're quite as high on him. His ADP we is can a take couple him. slots ahead of, of Metcalf. You're okay with him? Yeah, we can take him. We are. I, I filibustered that time. We were low on the clock. I like structurally going with another receiver here. I, I'm not – I don't think 503 is a great price for – the bet that he is. But if you're not super in on Hall, I'm not super in on Hall either. There wasn't a clear pick for me. I'm very comfortable taking another receiver from a structural perspective there. And certainly I'm comfortable admitting that I could be wrong on, on the way I'm seeing Bateman when so many people that I think are so intelligent, including yourself, including our buddy Pat Rain over at, at Ship Chasing. And, and I know uh, Pete Overzet as well, I think is pretty in on Bateman and, and others I've talked to are a lot more in on Bateman than I seem to be. So um, glad that we got him under the gun after my filibuster. But our start now is Jonathan Taylor, Debo Samuel, DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman. Very fun start. I was trying to mention for the audio listeners, before we got on the clock in the fourth round, uh, Deontay Johnson did go. That was somebody we had talked about. Darren Waller went to the Travis Kelsey and Kittle drafter. So that drafter has now started Kelsey, Mike Evans, Kittle, Waller, Brandon Cooks. Very interesting to take three of the top five tight ends there. We didn't really, and this happens in the first few picks uh, on FFPC and in these tight end premium formats, we didn't really have a consideration for an elite tight end at any point unless we took Pitts 103, like you said. So we weren't going to take probably Waller with some of the injury concerns at the 2-3 turn. I don't think Kittle can be pushed up that high. He did go 305. This is the highest I think I've seen Kittle go all offseason in FFPC. Now that he's starting to like really edge ahead of Waller, people are, I think, a little concerned about Waller's health. Waller goes late later in the fourth. He's been sliding a little bit before we were up. We didn't really have that consideration. Like I said, in between our Waddle and Bateman picks, Schultz and Goddard both went. So that kind of tells you what we were looking at at tight end in those spots and why we didn't go elite tight end in this draft. And Ben, you had mentioned TJ Hawkinson and how it wasn't really time for him. And yet uh, he's another one where we're just going to be out of position to get him almost certainly his ADP at the 602. I mean, he could come back 
but it's unlikely Dallas Goddard also with an ADP that is in that range. But like you mentioned in this particular draft, he he's already gone, goes at the 412 and perhaps not even a bad pick because obviously we're very much in on this Eagles passing attack. We think they're going to be more pass heavy. One of the small silver linings of missing on AJ Brown is that it does keep Devonte Smith in the mix for us later. He's someone who probably he's in this tier. You should go around here is what you're about to say, right? Well, I was going to say, I mean, I don't even necessarily think that he'll make it back. That's yeah. not the case by ADP. His ADP shockingly is at the 801, but I, I just, I don't think that you can lock in mentally the idea that you're going to get players who so clearly are mispriced in a strong draft like this one. You've got to be prepared for the fact that they could go at any time. The interesting thing here, Ben, is that DK Metcalf is still on the board at the 510. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. He's pretty clearly the best available on my board. Elijah Moore, also one of the best available receivers on my board. He goes off. The other guy along with Devonta that has a shot to come back around is Drake London. And then we also have Brandon Ayuk in that group. Those guys are on the same tier for me. And, and, and once again, just to follow up again on the Bateman pick, part, part of why I was so comfortable there. I love drafting off tiers. We've talked about tiers before. I do have a pretty wide tier once Judy was off that included some players that had already gone, like Marquise Brown. I was on you know, DK Metcalf as my highest ranked player, I think at that point, but I had, or highest ranked receiver at that point, but I had Bateman a couple spots behind and in the same tier. And that's the, I mean, I genuinely think about it that way where like, it's very easy for me to just say, I could flip this at any moment, basically. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing these guys as very similar bets. That's the whole idea of tiers based drafting. When you hear me push back a little more, it's because I, I have a, a tier break typically, right? So when we were talking about Waddle and Judy, I do have Judy in a little combo tier right now between where I have Waddle and where I have these other names I was mentioning, Metcalf and, and Bateman and those guys. When I say combo tier, I have him and Amon Ross St. Brown in the same little two-person tier at this point. My, my tiers are also constantly shifting. Brandon Ayuk and Drake London go at the turn. That 12 spot continuing to build a strong team. Kyle Pitts, Saquon Barkley, Josh Allen, Gabe Davis, Brandon Ayuk, Drake London. DK Metcalf still on the board at the 602. Sean, he's probably not going to make it all the way back to the 610, but it is very surprising to see him fall to the sixth round. It is. I do have a pretty decent amount of Metcalf because in a variety of formats, he's been at the 5'6" turn for me recently and have been loading up at that price he's just such a big time talent i think that regardless of what happens with that quarterback battle i mean he's he's going to be fine he may not be the league winner but we're talking about someone who is not that far removed from being considered the number one wide receiver in dynasty and so to, to get this price on him i think you've got to be enthusiastic whoever gets him here sorry to cut you off but we see adam Thielen and alan lazard go here in the early sixth I mean, again, compare those players to DK Metcalf. It's just it, try not to be too critical. I could be very, very much be wrong on Thielen and Lazard. I don't see the paths. Let's just put it that way, relative to what Metcalf can do, even with the poor quarterback play. The quarterback play is a concern, but you know we see Brent. Yeah, that we're looking at with some of these selections is that the quarterback play is a double-edged sword, right? To where drafters are getting very tuned in to the fact that the receivers, I mean, that the quarterback is going to 
determine the efficiency level in a very big way for these receivers and it can really elevate some of these players and yet when you draft the players at that level who are just you know many many levels down in talent you have sucked out the ability to really be right in a way that you have a big win and you are betting on being right whereas when you have quarterback play at kind of a couple ends of the spectrum but you end up being wrong in terms of how good that play is or what the volume is like, then, I mean, you can't come out ahead. Whereas the DK Metcalf drafter, and he does finally go here a couple picks in front of us. In the 607, round. 607, Sean. Goes after Kirk so Yeah, I mean, there's so many different ways that drafter can win, yeah. right? And so you, you've opened a lot more paths for yourself. Devonta Smith does make it back two quick picks after that 607 Metcalf uh was the 607 two picks after that were Devo- uh, david montgomery and justin herbert devonta smith's the last of a tier for me sean unless you want to go cam Akers, who's the last running back in a tier but i'm not super in on but how are you feeling yeah there, there are probably a lot of ways to play the cam Akers value I and mean, i do like him at that price especially since it doesn't sound like daryl henderson is healthy um but i think locking in the receiver firepower we also have four very compelling quarterbacks right here but since there are four of them almost certainly one of them will come back around and at least give us that option in the next round yeah only two drafters behind us they both have to double tap so i think i'm willing to to bet that one of those is going to swing back around to us we do take devonta smith our fifth straight receiver probably no surprise to any of you listening that when we get some targets that we like falling into spots we like we're looking for reasons to take detours they are detours for a reason i mean we're not looking for reasons to take detours excuse me we have to have a strong compelling reason to take a detour but that's why we call them detours we have not had any compelling reasons at any point to get off of a really wide receiver heavy draft this is idealistically what we're kind of hoping for this is this is nice debo dj moore waddle bateman devonta smith with a jonathan taylor anchor at running back obviously tight end going to be interesting and because it's not going to be elite i'm right there with you where i would like an elite quarterback i don't want to be shuffling at both those positions as devonta smith clears that tier for us you know this possible acre swings back around to us i think i would still be on going going over to the quarterback locking in one of these big names prior to getting our rb2 here because we are going to be playing a little bit of a late tight end game but yeah gotta love this taylor and then five straight receiver start well, one of the things that's interesting is we were talking about Metcalf and his fall and the unlikelihood of him making it back. Cam Akers actually has an earlier ADP than Metcalf does. And so his fall at this point is pretty precipitous. Obviously, there is injury uncertainty. And so you do expect that if guys are going to fall, it will be players that drafters can't get a really clear read on You know, when they're on the clock. That leaves you with that, that lack of comfort. Ben... Patrick Mahomes goes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts all here. We obviously have Devontae Smith on our team, Rashad Bateman on our team. We have Debo and Trey Lance still has in this format an ADP of 810. He could theoretically come back to us if we do want to go Cam Akers or if, if we wanted to put somebody else in. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think, based on what I've seen, that the, and Acres does go at the turn. Interesting note that you had there that his ADP is even higher than Metcalf's. Maybe I – I mean, De- Devonta Smith was such a clear, exciting wide receiver pick there that it would have been tough. But maybe I spoke too quickly that we shouldn't have considered him longer. 701, very nice price to make a bet on Cam Akers. have to admit that. Lance, from what I've been seeing, and I've been been doing quite a few of these main events over the last week, I would not expect to be back. He's finally taken that rise that we expected. I would not expect him to be back at the 810. Jalen Hurts goes after Mahomes. We're now in this range where Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray are on the board, and then Lance. And I do expect Lance will go off as a QB7. We have Bateman, Sean. So the pick for me would be Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I think that's a pretty straightforward way to play it here. He has risen ahead of basically all these guys who've gone in front of him in a lot of formats over the last two weeks. So there's plenty of enthusiasm for Jackson. If we took Kyler Murray, it would still open us up to take a couple of his receivers or targets later. But uh, Do you prefer Kyler? Maybe in, I I prefer some of the things that he allows you to do in most drafts. I don't think that we're in that specific specific situation though, or have that need right now. And so, especially since Murray could be our target in some of our future main events and, and Jackson just here at a fantastic price for us, he's going in the mid sixth, we get him early in the seventh. I mean, it's not some kind of crazy value, but it is a good value and it's a good fit and the upside when we talked about when he wasn't going as high earlier in the offseason because it really has been a pretty uh, significant rise for him over the last month we were talking about how that didn't make sense that he should be going up there that he probably is the overall qb1 purely in terms of the upside type of season that a player could have when we think about what he would need to do in weeks 15 through 17 to win the tournament for us he would need to run he would need to hit mark andrews but he would also need rashad bateman to come through as this ascending superstar second year player but one of the reasons that i really like bateman is that 
his collegiate profile was so good. His athleticism is so strong. There still is the potential for a lot of air yards for the number one wide receiver in this offense. And he doesn't seem to be one of the buzziest players in terms of training camp performance and fantasy and all that kind of thing. You could probably speak to this better than I can since (laughs) some of the the Twitter buzz I obviously miss. But in going through and and reading reports from a variety of teams and and reading sort of uh, some of the aggregated types of information about who's having the best camp, I mean, it sounds like Bateman has been fantastic. And not only do they not have other receivers, but the guys who are sort of auditioning for those roles have been hurt. I mean, this passing offense could be just insanely constant and they don't pass to the running backs right i mean <laughs> that's one of the things for anybody who listens to me constantly talking about jk dobbins and it's like i don't know what sean's talking about there the the ceiling just isn't what you need and they don't pass to the backs and so i mean this passing game is going to be mark andrews rashad bateman even with the limitations even if baltimore drops down when i was looking at this yesterday because i was <laughs> making a pitch for bateman uh, in a different co-managed draft he marquise brown in 2020 when they had an average of 26 pass plays per 60 minutes, which is impossibly low. I mean, it's just through the floor. It sounds like they might like to go back that direction this year, but it's going to be very difficult to get anywhere near that number. You've talked about the fact that even if it ends up being kind of splitting the difference between the last two seasons or even kind of going in between and then cutting that in half again and going down toward the low side, they're still going to have more volume than we've seen in the past. I mean, Marquise Brown was a top 20 air yards wide receiver And I know that he did some good things last year. I think that his ADP makes sense within the context of what should be a dynamic Cardinals team. But part of the bet on Rashad Bateman is the uncertainty and the possibility that he's actually a lot better than Marquise Brown. And with that possibility, I just, I love him at that fifth round price. There are multiple things I want to highlight that you just said there for our listeners who are obviously trying to get more than just the players that we selected in this draft, but some strategy elements Number one, you talked about when we were deciding between Jackson and Kyler, we did go Jackson, that you like Kyler in a lot of spots because of the options he gives you to play late. And I just want to highlight that as Sean Siegel, who I think is probably the best in the entire industry player analyst. I I have such strong uh, respect for your player takes. I know our listeners know that. You are explicitly saying there, that you see enough ambiguity between Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson's range of outcomes that in an individual draft, you're playing certainly when you take either of those quarterbacks for a ceiling outcome and what might break the tie between the two of them is not whether you think one or the other has a slightly better offensive situation, more pass volume, whatever it is. How can I play this draft so that when I'm right about this player that I took, I can then have an even more dominant roster. That is an incredibly sharp thing that I did. I wanted to make sure that listeners didn't miss. The second element that you just talked about with Bateman, number one, it caused me to move him up my rankings because I think you made a really good case. You made a very good case about how the number two receivers have, have been injured. We've also been hearing not necessarily optimistic stuff about J.K. Dobbins going into week one. There's some talk now that Mike Davis might be the guy that's going to get a lot of week one work for Baltimore. And so as you were talking through all of that, I mean, Bateman could get off to a really fast start in a way that could be really positive because this could be the outcome where the Ravens are passing a lot like last year, at least early. And and, and then I think they will get more towards the run. We've talked about how their, their team is positioned more for 
running than last year, more towards the run. And, and we've talked about how game situations and expected pass rate is going to come down for them almost certainly. But I, I don't think I had shifted enough to this point in August with the reports on the secondary receivers and the reports on Dobbins to where I was, until you started talking about it right there, to where I was recognizing that at least early in the season, the Ravens are probably going to pass a decent amount. And that's a very positive for Bateman. And then I guess there's a third thing. I go back to that Bateman pick where I talked about wanting Metcalf or preferring Metcalf. You got us on Bateman again. How does that play out in the draft? Well, we wound up with a Bateman-Jackson stack. There's nothing you can do with Metcalf. You're not going to stack him with Geno Smith. We had DJ Moore and Waddle already, not really stackable receivers. Debo, certainly we could stack with Lance. We ended up getting Devonta, but Hertz went before us. Thinking about the ways the draft can fall to you and how you can come up with a very strong draft, I think further solidifies that Bateman pick at 503 in that it gave us this out to now hit on Jackson. I'm very happy at this point that we took Bateman at 503 because of how things fell and what we landed with. Good stuff all the way through that range. Lance does go here at 804 as the draft continues to move back to us. Kyler had also gone off the board. We were not going to get an elite quarterback on the way back and potentially a Burrow if you want to consider him in that class or a Russell Wilson, but not having taken Higgins or Chase in this draft, not having taken Judy because he went push me, you know, pushes me away from those guys who I do think are a tier down from the Jackson Murrays and Lances in terms of pure upside. DeAndre Hopkins, Amari Cooper, Kadarius Tony, Robert Woods all go at receiver. I'm now in the Sky Moore, Traylon Burks, Garrett Wilson discussion. I have more pretty comfortably ahead as, as Burks has had the tough August. Still very comfortable taking Burks, but wanting to get a, a better price. Wilson also way too cheap already, has slid a little bit in some drafts. Again, wanting to get a good price in these sharp drafts. Sky Moore does still go if you don't take him. So I have him ahead partially just on that. Uh, being being price sensitive. A lot of running backs since we last picked after Akers went at the 701. Elijah Mitchell, Kareem Hunt, Chase Edmonds, Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Tony Pollard, Rashad Penny, Ramondre Stevenson all off the board. That leaves for me the Bills backs, Singletary and James Cook, Miles Sanders, Cordero Patterson, Antonio Gibson, Josh Jacobs, all the, the sliders that I don't actually want to take that I have ranked where I do just for the people in more, more or less for the people in home leagues, I guess, but don't really always expect them to fall. Sanders does go. Tyler Lockett goes. Sean, what are you thinking? Rookie receiver here. We're a pick away. I filibustered once again. Rookie receiver, Bill's back. Do you want to dip into like the Rashad White tier of running back? Do you like a tight end here? Is Fryermuth on the board for us? Zach Ertz has gone, but other than him, it's just been the main eight receivers that tend to go the big five, and then the next three that always go, Schultz, Hawkinson, and Goddard. Ertz went as tight end nine. We are going to be on the clock here in just a second at the 8-10. So we could dip into that middle round tight end tier if we wanted to try to get our best targets there. What are you thinking? There's quite a bit of flexibility. I was a little disappointed. I didn't think he was going to make it, but Ramondre Stevenson does come to the middle of round eight. He would have been interesting. Sky Moore goes one pick ahead of us right there. We have the five wide receivers. Always like to get at least six studs. You mentioned the tight ends. We've been completely out on Dawson Knox, but the, with that week one element, you know, if he scores a couple of touchdowns, he's going to go in round four post Thursday night football. Cole Komet, Pat Fryermuth, we probably have to take them at the 903 if we want them. George Pickens, Devin Singletary, also, I think, interesting picks. Do you have, do you have a lean? 
I guess maybe it would be towards Singletary, but I could definitely see the Knox case. Singletary also gives us a look at the RB2 position. If he has a big one, we can lock him in in week one. Okay, so we'll go Devin Singletary there. That is almost dead on his current ADP. I have a lot of Singletary. I'm a big believer in Singletary. He had 16 expected points per game and then outperformed that by almost four more points in terms of fantasy points over expectation during his big run at the end of the season. They then draft James Cook. Now Zach Moss is back in the equation. I think that Singletary was far too cheap during most of the offseason, but he's not fallen the way I would have expected with the Moss reports. And so I'm kind of wondering, are, are drafters kind of fixing both problems at the same time <laughs> to where it balances out and his, his ADP stays the same? That's... It's interesting because Cook is falling a little bit. Cook had gone before Singletary quite a bit. I'm not seeing that as much. If he does go ahead of Singletary, it's right in front of Singletary. And sometimes I've seen him fall a whole round or more. And the most recent reports there too are that he probably isn't going to have the volume early in the season that drafters were hoping for in july that doesn't mean that he couldn't be the league winner here i mean a lot of times these rookie prices one of the things that i'm writing out currently is kenneth walker i mean he's falling he should be falling and yet that creates an opportunity that you wouldn't get if some of these other situations weren't in play he could be one of these guys who averages 18 points per game in the fantasy playoffs for you so i mean so cook could definitely still be the guy that you want to have but kind of with the thesis that we're exploring, we're getting a little bit more comfortable that Singletary will at least have a workload early that is playable. And maybe like you're saying, I, I do like him here being in that Thursday night game. I pushed us towards that a little bit though. Sean low on the clock didn't give you a lot of time. Again, I'm I've apparently learned from you. I'm mastering the filibuster in this draft. It's a smart way to do it. I, want to know who you would have taken there and more importantly as it relates to obviously we only had four picks between us two have gone josh jacobs and damian harris harris is a guy you've gotten me a little bit more excited about recently um jacob's certainly not one that we would have taken Naheem hines goes who would you have taken there and, and more importantly what do you want to do before we let it go back to the long you know 20 picks before we're back on the clock yeah, so we're back up. We have those three tight ends that we're staring at. Pickens is just so tantalizing there. But, I mean, his situation, is it actually better than Garrett Wilson's, who we frequently have a shot at at the 10-10? We probably have to address tight end with one of those three guys, either Knox, Komet, Fryermuth. All three of them have interesting theories behind them. Komet, I mean, I... I he could easily lead the position in targets. He does seem like he and Mooney actually the only guys who have any rapport with Fields because they're the only guys there. Friermuth, a potential emerger, especially now that Kenny Pickett looks pretty good. And then Dawson Knox on you know, one of the two most explosive offenses of football. We have 10 seconds, Sean. you got to break that time. Well, let's go with the big swing. We'll take Pat Friermuth there. We'll hope that he and not George Pickens is the player who – is at least the most fantasy relevant for this season. I think those players, those three are very, very close. We've talked a lot about how Dawson Knox's ability to create targets has not been particularly good. His yardage efficiency, not particularly good. And that's within the context of playing in this Buffalo offense. There are some strengths and weaknesses there in terms of, I mean, he's been competing with some guys, but 
the players he was competing with last season really not the level of the players that we expect him to compete with this season. I mean, if they had been playing Gabriel Davis all the time last year, then you could make an easier <laughs> excuse for why he wasn't drawing the targets, but they weren't. I mean, it was guys like Cole Beasley and that's exactly Daniels what I would say. I, I think Knox is a pretty like we, we talk about how regression is maybe overemphasized sometimes, but he's a pretty classic guy for me where because of the target earning that you mentioned, if the TDs regress and he had nine touchdowns on only 71 targets, only 49 receptions, really high rate of touchdowns per reception for a tight end. If, if those TDs regress, he certainly has the potential to have 10 touchdowns again in this passing offense. I'm not denying that, but if those regress, you're not, you don't have any target floor with him in this range. I, I, I'll be completely honest. Even with the Thursday night game, I was not comfortable with that pick. I think he probably, recognize that and probably why he went to Frymouth because you know I like him a lot. I would have been comfortable with Komet as well. You did have Komet higher in the queue. Is Komet someone you would rather have than Frymouth as we just start to lock these discussions down for the many more of these drafts that we'll do? I have them very close together. I think that Justin Fields is going to surprise some people. I don't think that they're going to be fantastic, but I think there will be some interesting games. I think they're going to have a lot of garbage time. Cole Komet, because of the offensive context, the coaching, all of those types of things, and frankly, a little bit of his own play. He dropped some passes that if he had caught them the last couple of years, his numbers would look better and the team would have felt comfort- more comfortable using him. But he's looked he's looked good. And he's in that spot now where it's very easy to see a breakout. When you compare and contrast these two guys, the target competition for Fryermuth is much more significant. And yet he is in a slightly different part of the trajectory there to where a guy who had his rookie season and now looks like he has a shot at joining that Kittle Waller area. I think, I think you have to take the play on potentially a better offense, but also just potentially a significantly better player, right? When we're thinking about how can we get exposure to elite tight end scoring, if we weren't in position to actually take one of the elite tight ends, you have to go for a player who could emerge like that. I'm much more comfortable doing it now than, you know, say 10 days ago, just because Kenny Pickett does continue to look like he can be the person who runs the offense. One of the things that you don't really want if you're drafting Pratt Farmouth is you don't want Trubisky to have a lengthy run at the beginning where he's very mediocre and doesn't really help you from that perspective and then Pickett doesn't get out there playing and getting the experience and getting through you know if he has some of those early rookie moments and we've seen players like Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes I mean Mahomes it wasn't until really the week 17 and then obviously he plays in his second season but there are rookie QBs who just light the world on fire from day one. But I want Pickett to, number one, be the guy, and number two, play early enough that if he has any struggles that he's ready to really get it done in the fantasy playoffs, I think we're trending very quickly in that direction. A few interesting notes here that, that draft in the 12th spot that I've highlighted a couple different times. Figured if we didn't take Knox, he might go all the way to that drafter who had the Allen Gabe Davis stack early. He does. That team continues to be built out pretty strongly. Gabe Davis, Brandon Ayuk, Drake London, and Kadarius Tony, and then Garrett Wilson now are the receivers. Has the, the Pitt Saquon start? Took Rashad Penny as well. Pretty strong roster there. 
Another note I wanted to ask you about as we start to head back, as we think about who might be there at 10-10, George Pickens still on the board. You had Pickens as a pretty strong consideration for us there at the 8-9 turn with Traylon Burks and Garrett Wilson still on the board. Chris Olave as well, who were not as on. Olave did go. Wilson went. Burks is still on the board. I have Burks, Pickens, and then Romeo Dobbs as, uh, as my next three receivers right now. But Burks and Pickens a little bit higher. I thought it was very interesting that you were looking at Pickens prior to them. Is that just because of the hype and thinking that he probably doesn't come back and there's a chance that Burks comes back? Or are you in a position to really like Pickens over Burks at this point? Another consideration I want to get from you actually real quick while we have about six picks before up again. Is Antonio Gibson still on the board? We are past the Cordero Patterson, Naheem Hines, Kenneth Walker with his injury discount, Kenneth Gainwell range. At a certain point, I think Gibson becomes interesting and Pickens did go off the board. Pickens goes, I think that now that we more or less have confirmation that the injury isn't an issue, and not just in terms of the short term, but you never know, even with how seemingly flawless so many of the recoveries are these days you never know if the guy is going to be quite the same especially when you have maybe a smaller window to have evaluated what he did as a freshman an 18 year old freshman in the sec but as soon as you see what he's doing to the steelers in practice i think it's pretty easy to put him up there with burks and wilson in terms of where they are as prospects and then because he's getting off to a faster start and doesn't have some of the offensive concerns that Garrett Wilson has, then I think you can elevate him above those guys. So I think that number one, it it is that he's more expensive, but number two, I think that you probably actually do just want him a little bit ahead of those guys straight up at this point. Antonio Gibson would have been a tough guy to pass on in the 10th round. If he had made it, he does go at the 10 Oh seven. And so does Rashad white who would have been another running back that I would have loved to have here at the 10, 10, my next best running backs now are Daryl Henderson, Michael Carter, Tyler Algier, Melvin Gordon, who you talked about liking a little bit earlier, all in the same tier, changing those guys around a lot. But Traylon Burks is still here, a potential 10-10 option. There's also ways to build out tight end with Fryermuth as our number one, Gerald Everett. I don't know where you're at on Albert O at this stage. He's also there, Noah Fant, and some others. What do you think? If we are one pick away, Alexander Madison goes off the board. I think we have to hope that Everett makes it to us in the 12th. ADP suggests that he will. Obviously, you've got to be aware of the fact that a player like that who is undervalued and has that extreme upside might not. You don't want to just completely think that you're you're going to be set with that selection i do like albert O. his adp is in the middle of 11 and yet he is a player that if we wanted to play it with dulcich at the very end instead we could go that route i'm a little bit torn here ben because melvin gordon gives us a really interesting super high-end upside play and would allow us to you know certainly uh play that second round pick through him as opposed to through Javante Williams. It would be difficult for me with Traylon Burks and Romeo Dubs at this spot to not draft at least one of them with one of these two picks. You know, you're a little bit tempted to take both of them knowing that we do hit a spot where wide receiver is just completely and totally gone. And it's right after Jahan Dotson. 
And we are on the clock now, about 30 seconds. Sean, I would point out that both the drafters at the one, two spots have four running backs and three receivers and a QB and a tight end, same exact builds so far. I think it's more likely that they go receiver with three of those four picks than running back have a couple different options, but I think I like running back here and playing for one of Burks or dubs to come back. Dobbs. Um, I'm, Comfortable taking the receiver because I think there's more options at running back, but just by reading the board. Either way is fine with me. That's just something I wanted to highlight. Okay, so we got down to three seconds. I I clicked Burks because you said that these drafters at the turn were running back heavy. Yes. Sorry, I said that backwards. I, I think Burks was the right play. I think I okay. said that backwards. Okay. And so they, they do. The, the two teams in between us, one has McCaffrey, Kamara, Jacobs, and Patterson. The other has Javante Williams, Akers, Damian Harris, and Hines. I got turned around there, but very good play there because that's what we needed to do. Because actually after Burks, and, and potentially if you have Dobbs in the same tier, I do think it's a, a fairly significant drop-off at that point. We have... Pickens has gone, several other receivers that we haven't necessarily named yet, but on my board, the next best are Tyler Boyd, Jahan Dotson, Wondell Robinson. So that's the range that we start to get into once Burks and Dobbs go. We are at the, the receiver you know, window closing, and whether Burks is in, inside of that is maybe a question mark, but we see Russell Gage go one pick after, and we do see these drafters take receiver. We did have more options at, at running back, and so I said that backwards, but very, very quick thinking on you. I wasn't looking at the clock either. I ran a stand at three seconds. Hat tip to you for making that pick. I'm very excited that we got that six receiver there that we might not have had a shot at at 11.03. I think we might still have a shot at Gordon, who has seemed like you were leaning out at running back. But we also have Michael Carter and Tyler Algier here who are interesting. Isaiah Pacheco also still on the board. He had risen all the way into like the seventh round in some drafts, ninth round in many. I don't even know if I like him in the 11th. I see this as like he was going too high, which we were highlighting. And, and now that that excitement has faded a little bit and he's fallen back. Probably this is already, you know, the limit of where he should have reached. And so I don't know that he's necessarily a great value. I have him actually in the tier behind Carter, Algier, and Gordon. But he's another name to consider. Julio Jones is another receiver that goes off. So we are seeing some receivers go. What are you thinking? Yeah, I mean, looking at Pacheco there, I mean – once you get into round 11, then it starts to be kind of intriguing to me. I am drafting with a Patrick Mahomes shirt on, and so I felt like that was a positive vibe for our first main event. It, it, the, the preseason games do matter. They do give you some insight. It's important not to overreact. It is kind of funny to see him immediately fall just right after an evening where he and Ronald Jones were rotating with each other. And so uh, as soon as Jones gets back into the equation a little bit, then the Pacheco enthusiasm dims very quickly. Again, I don't know that he should have risen as much as he did. And I don't know that just because the Chiefs let Ronald Jones play a little bit that you should suddenly be back off of him either. So I, I like a lot of our picks here, I guess, is, is where I'm going. I would love to take Albert O, love to take Melvin Gordon's upside Dobbs, I think I'm, I'm back on my bold prediction, Ben, of, of Dobbs leading the Packers in receiving. And I mean, if he does, then he would be a pretty clear pick right here. Jahan Dotson, I also think, is going to lead the Commanders in receiving. So we, we do have some options. I'm very open. Michael Carter goes, three receivers did go. 
we have most of the running backs we were looking at on the board as we were on the clock. 30 seconds. I'm going to give you more time here. Algier, Gordon, Dobbs, the tight ends, Pacheco, all very comfortable with these picks. And I think that one of the things that will happen if we select a receiver here is that it just it fuels the avalanche a little bit more. I think that we're going to get some options at running back. The fact that we were able to execute early at wide receiver so cleanly with Debo, DJ Moore, Jalen Waddle, Rashad Bateman, Devontae Smith. Now, three of those guys are the second-year players, but then you know that when we're able to load up on second-year wide receivers, I, I just feel like the draft is already won. But also with that, you know, we're, we're not as young at receivers. It's, it's funny I'm saying second-year receivers. We're not as young. But you think back <laughs> to our, our ship-chasing draft the other night, and it, because of the receiver avalanche, we were just on all rookies, which, again, I, I think that will work out fine. But to be able to take burks and dobbs here at these prices with them being our first two rookie receivers i I like that balance and being able to kind of stash them and not have to worry about playing them the first couple weeks but knowing that once you get into the bye weeks i mean again we we're asked all the time why are you drafting so many wide receivers but if anything the last couple of years where our, our teams have been successful we were excited about how they did and yet they weren't successful to the point where we're you know, deep in the bye weeks and thinking, oh, like we've got elite options on the bench. I mean, you need a lot of guys if you want to hammer your opponents during that bye week stretch. And to do it, you got to set your team up like this. I love it. So we did go Romeo Dobbs and Burks uh, again at the turn. Three three of the four picks were receivers: it was Gage, Julio Jones, Isaiah McKenzie, a few veterans. Michael Carter went. I like that. You know, with those picks going off the board and Dobbs not going, and he often does, and, and frankly, I've seen him go in the ninth round a decent amount, that we said, all right, you're going to give us the shot to take two of these rookies at 10 and 11, the 10-11 turn. If that's what the room's going to give us, that's what we like, that we're going to take that. We're going to continue to build the wide receiver strength in this situation. Pacheco goes right after us. Jahan Dotson goes three picks after us, a few more veteran receivers have gone. You are right to say that it might push a little bit of an avalanche. We get Marcus Valdez-Scantling, Dotson, Joshua Palmer, and Tyler Boyd all going in the next five picks. Gordon does go. Possibility Algier still makes it back. I love this. I mean, Taylor and Singletary, I think, gives us two very comfortable starters. And so pushing the RB3 discussion down is fine. I, probably the only real concern is pushing the tight end two with Fryer move. We probably want to get a little depth there. But as you noted, we might be able to get Everett at 1210. And as we get to the end of the 11th round, no tight end goes, no tight end went in the 10th. Tight ends are sliding a little in this draft. We could see a run at any point. But Everett Alberto still on the board at 1201. Kilo Herbert, J.D. McKissick, Jamal Williams went off. Nico Collins goes off. I feel really good about those Burks and Dobbs picks because I feel like we got them before, again, the wide receiver window sort of slammed shut. It's right in this range. You could say it, it goes close a little earlier, I think. But these you know high upside rookie receivers tend to be the, the close of it. Garrett Wilson's the guy that I've been thinking of as the close of it. But now that Pickens and Dobbs are are justifiably going this range, now that Burks has slid a little, I think you can include them as well. Once you're through those guys, 
Jahan Dotson, you can probably hang in there as well, frankly. But once you're through those guys, it's a different profile of receiver that you're targeting. Yeah, and it's a profile that it tends to be overvalued in best ball, but is at least viable in best ball. Whereas in redraft, in FFPC main events, if you're pushed into the situation where you're playing those guys, then your team is almost certainly not good enough. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not possible. It doesn't mean you couldn't be incredibly strong in every other position and have one weak wide receiver spot. But big picture, that's not how you're hoping to build your team. And one of the things that we're seeing here is Albert O is sliding. He's become, I mean, he's another one of those players who, based on whatever happened in the previous 48 hours, is really jumping up and down. Irv Smith goes at the 1205, which is a discount on his price. He and, and Alberto have been going in the mid 11th. We also, I think, late Ben have the shot to take Mike Gasicki, a player where I think he could even end up on a different team come, you know, week one or week three or what have you. And then we're going to do a fun contest for the listeners. I teased this a week or so ago, and we have gotten some questions about it because I haven't ever fully explained the rest of it. Basically what we're going to do, the FFPC, such a fun contest, the FBG version of it, obviously an absolute blast to play. I'm looking to do a couple of drafts with listeners, and we thought the best way to do this would be, basically we're going to have one for Stealing Bananas, one for Rotoviz Overtime. Obviously we've got a lot of overlap in the shows and in the audience, but looking for any type of social media mention of the shows that's fun and you're saying well what should we do i want to leave that open because i'd like to have there be a lot of variety in how listeners interact with this but anything that just seems stealing bananas or, or rvot related it can be a story of successes it can be a show that you thought was especially valuable to you it can be some kind of inside joke with the show combined with something else that is a lot of fun it can be a variety of those things. Tweet that out. Make sure that you have in some way tagged it with Rotoviz Radio or some mention that Colin Kelly, our fantastic executive producer, will see. He's likely to be compiling these and kind of getting us finalists. The other thing I would ask you to do, and we've had some people already inquire who listen in a podcast format that doesn't allow you to leave a rating and review but if you do that would really help us and anybody who enters the contest i would just please ask you to do that we also have the youtube channel and if you can subscribe again you know you're not going to get notifications unless you have those turned on some of you probably are, are listening and watching anyway if you can't leave a review on the podcast part you know, drop us a couple of comments or something like that on the YouTube side for a video that you especially liked. Something like that, in addition. Don't want to make the, the contest too complicated. That's not the idea, but just uh, I, I'm excited for this, right? So what's going to happen? We'll pick either one listener or two listeners, depending on how the contest goes, what seems appropriate. I will draft in a league with you. It won't cost you anything. I will ask that during the season that you kind of take point on being the person who does start sit and waivers. Although obviously you can contact me with ideas. And then once we win the half a million dollars, we'll split that 
two fifty a piece. So <laughs> that, that that seems pretty fun, right? So we'll we'll draft together. It'll be here in September. We are hoping to hit half a million downloads for the month. This is just a little bit to kind of put us over the top there. But the main thing is, you guys have been so great. I want to give a little bit back and just I want to draft with some people. So that's what we're gonna do. Put those out there on uh, the part of the internet that I don't see. <laughs> Over the next four or five days, we'll select a couple listeners. We'll do those drafts in September. This is the best time of the year. The FFPC is a fantastic format. Then that will conclude the first half of our first Stealing Bananas FFPC main event draft. We are playing to try and win the $1 million grand prize. I'm really excited for that. This has been an absolute blast. We'll be back with part two. Until then, I'm Sean Siegel. With me is Ben Gretsch. You can follow at Yards Per Gretsch. Make sure you get signed up for Stealing Signals. You'll want to jump over there and try out Stealing Lines. We'd love to have you guys at Rotoviz with the coupon code RBRADIO2022 at checkout. That'll get you 10% off. Looking forward to drafting with some listeners. Make sure you get yourself involved in the contest. Leave us a rating and review. Subscribe to the feed dominate your drafts over the next 72 hours and we will talk to you guys again soon.